0: Uh, just a few announcements before we pray. Uh, if you weren't here at the very beginning, you missed the video that we are going to change the service times uh, for all, starting August 21st to deal with a little bit of overcrowding, especially in this room. We're manageable in the summer, and the fall and the spring, it's, uh, we're turning people away, uh, which we do not want to do. So we're going to go back to three services, which is where we were pre-COVID, actually, Uh, One at 8.30 in here, one at 9.45 in here, and then one at 11 o'clock in the fellowship hall. Uh, The rule of thumb, as far as like ecclesiastical matters, is when you get 80% capacity, you need to go ahead and do another service, and we're well beyond that, which is a a wonderful problem to have. Uh, But we also want to make room, I think um, we forget that we still live in a non-Christian world I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people I talk to every week that don't know the Lord and don't have a place to worship. And so let's continue to invite friends and family. Uh, In the elective Sunday school, we're going to hear from homes with a Mission. Uh, So if you have time to stay around, great ministry from Bob Caldwell, uh, providing homes for missionaries. There's a lot of them that he has now, and it's a great, great ministry if you want to hear about that. And also, we just sent out uh, the team to Greece, the short-term mission team to Greece. So we want to pray for them. It's a great group. Uh, It is a mission trip, even though they're going to Greece. Uh, There are a lot of needs for refugees, and there's a lot of just need for Christianity over there. So let's pray those things in really quick and then we'll get right to Proverbs. Father, we do pray now that this uh, hour of worship that we have, where we pray prayers to you, where we adore you, where we sing to you, where we confess where we're out of alignment with your will, where we hear from your words of grace and peace, where we tune our hearts to sing your grace, that over the span of our lives, this hour should form us and change us and cruciform us more than any other hour of our weeks. But part of that process is us being open to the Holy Spirit and how you might encourage us, how you might convict us as we come underneath your word. And we pray that you would do that now. Uh, We pray that you would be with that team uh, in flight to Greece and that you would give them what they need. Break them down out of their comfort zones so that they would trust in you more fully. And we can't wait to hear their stories when they return. And be with the other trips that are going out, the high school beach trip, which is back, the uh, other trips to Cherokee, all the travel during this summer. Wherever this congregation of Mitchell Road is spread out to, may we be the light of the gospel. May we encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We pray in Christ's name, Amen. Life is um, life is made out of choices. I mean, I think you know that, but if you think about it, there are so many choices you have to make. Uh, Where are we going to eat today? And then, what are we going to eat today? Uh, What am I going to order on this menu? That's a small amount of choices. But the bigger things, where am I going to go to school? Who am I going to date? Who am I going to marry? What's my major going to be? Am I going to move to that city or not? There are so many choices that make up our life. And if we could only know the right thing to do in each situation, if we only had some kind of book of wisdom that could help us with that, early on, your decisions are pretty simple from like two to 13. Your decision is basically, are you going to be obedient or disobedient? Like that's basically it. Like everything's kind of done for you. Everything's kind of provided for you. But then from like 13 to 18, up until about 40, and these are round numbers, Everything is one big decision-making process, and it can be paralyzing. It's like one big field with no trails cut, and you have so many options, and every decision affects the next decision. If you move to this city, if you go to this college, if you choose this major, if you choose this job, there's so many possible ways you can go. And then in your 40s, that starts to close down a little bit, doesn't it? That's why people get midlife crises, because in your 40s, you still have decisions, 40s and 50s, but they're more like trailheads. There's only a couple of different ways you can go. And if you choose that trail, well, you probably can't come back and choose that trail. You only have one or two or three different ways that you can go, and you start to feel that. And then from those who I talk to more in your later life, your 80s, your 70s, it starts to become a little bit more like a tunnel, Right? You just don't have as many choices as you used to have. You don't even have the freedom of your health to be able to get around. You're now dependent upon other people more than you ever have had to be in your life. Life is full of choices. And here in Proverbs, we get this wonderful book of practical advice that helps us on a daily daily way, daily matters of how to make the choices that are right and wise. Let's do this. I'm gonna outline the whole book Then we're going to look at just chapter 9. We're going to outline that, and then I'm going to give you three practical things to do, and we'll be out of here. First of all, here's the big picture. It's written by Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 3, God comes to Solomon in a dream, and he says, what do you want? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And that's what God gave him. And he wrote down all of these statements. Uh, Chapters 1 through 9 are basically letters to a son, Here's the lay of lady wisdom. Or you could be seduced by the adulteress, lady folly. And he gives all of these pithy kind of wonderful statements. Now, that's happened before. Do you remember in like, I think it was the 90s, that little red book, Life's Little Instruction Booklet was published, made a fortune. Somebody made, I think his name was Howard Brown, if I remember right. He made an absolute fortune by writing down little pithy statements to his son. And I've read it. And it's fine. It's like be tender hearted, but tough minded. Okay. Uh, treat, tip the waitress well. Okay. But it's a little overwhelming. It's just all of these little pithy statements. It doesn't have the gravitas. And I want to say the book of Proverbs is not life's little instruction booklet. Because it says in chapter three trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In other words, the book of Proverbs is to get you and to get me thinking that we're all a part of this greater picture of what God's doing, and there's gravitas with that. It's not just a book about life hacks. There's this constant in chapters 1 through 9 juxtaposition with lady wisdom and then the adulteress. And then in chapters 10 all the way through chapter 29, That's where we get the true kind of meat of Proverbs. It talks about relationships. It talks about business dealings. It talks about sexuality. It talks about fair trade. It talks about profit. It talks about how to rebuke somebody. It talks about how to pick a mate. It talks about all of these kind of things. And then chapter 30 through 31, we get a poem of Agur, and then we get these words from King Lemuel, or Lemuel, depending on how you want to say it. And he talks about the things his mom taught him. Matter of fact, it says in chapter 31, if you look at that first sentence, these are the things my mom taught me that I'm now giving to you. Now, when you think of great books in the Bible where femininity is represented, you probably think of Esther. Or maybe you think of Ruth. But all throughout Proverbs, it talks about lady wisdom. That wisdom comes in this feminine kind of form. And if you reread it through that, it's really, really intriguing. Now, when we get to this text, here's what we see we see the way of Lady Wisdom and the way of Lady Folly. Chapter 9, let me read the whole chapter. Wisdom has built her house, she has hewn her seven pillars, she has slaughtered her beasts, she has mixed her wine, she has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let them turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread. Drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he'll love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he'll be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let them turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he who does not know that the dead are there That her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here we see Lady Wisdom. Look back at verses one through six. She's doing all the work. She's hewn the pillars, she's cut them. We don't know what the pillars represent, different theories there, but she's making us a sturdy and a safe environment. She's slaughtered the beasts. She's gone out and she's killed the fattened calf. She's mixed her wine and she's set her table. She's got the wine glasses out. She's got the water glasses out. She's got all the forks. She's got the little escar go fork at at the top right there. She's got it all. She's got all the plates. She's got the bread plates. She's done all the work. She's got the meat. She's gathered it all. She's mixed the wine perfectly. Everything's set. Everything's sturdy. That's lady wisdom. And then she says, whoever is simple, come here. And whoever lacks sense, come and eat and drink of this wine that I have made for you. She sends the female servants out to the high places, probably the city walls, to invite anybody in. And you can't possibly understand parts of the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. Because Luke 14 only makes sense when you've read Proverbs chapter 9. When Jesus talks about there's a banquet. And go out and find whoever would come and eat of this bread and this wine. And they go out and somebody says, no, I've, I've, I just bought an ox. I can't go. I just bought a house. I can't go. I just got married. I can't possibly go. And then Jesus says, well, go out and find whoever, the crippled, the lame, whoever you can possibly find to come in and to eat of this meal. Go gather anybody that you can find. Christianity, I hope you know this. Christianity is always an open invitation. I've said this to you before, but let me say it again very pointedly. We are a church, not a country club. I know there's membership involved. But we're always to be the people that are going out across this city, across this county, and saying, Come, hear of the good news of Christ. Come, have your identity rooted in the gospel. Come, remember that you're an adopted child of the king of kings. Come, see a greater picture for your life than you get on a day-to-day basis. Whoever's simple, let them come in and eat. And then look what she says, verse 6, and walk in the way of insight. How do you know if you're walking in the way of insight? Well, two things tell you. Verse 7 through 9, if you're teachable. You know you're wise if you're teachable. That's how you gain wisdom. But let me ask this question. What makes you listen to other people? Or what makes you discount other people? Do they have to have your political views before you listen to them? Do they have to have credibility? Do they have, are there some like secret checklists that you have to be able to click off in your mind before you'll accept somebody else confronting you or talking to you. This affected my life deeply. Years ago, I was talking to my father-in-law and uh, I, I was moaning about something that somebody was correcting me about and how they did it and how it was inappropriate the way they did it and blah, blah, blah. And you know what my father-in-law said? He said, Andy, if God can make uh, the donkey talk in Numbers 23, then you have to listen to every donkey in your life. Because they might just be right. They maybe did it all wrong, maybe completely inappropriately. But it doesn't mean there might not be truth in there. So you got to learn to listen. Are you going to be teachable or not? Or are you just going to scoff at anybody who wants to correct you? Look, if you you go um, to rappel down the cliff and the instructor throws a harness at you and says, tie a knot, put this harness on, and tie this knot around there, are you not going to come to them and say, did I do this right? Is this the right knot? Did I do this correctly? You're gonna seek wisdom. And what the Proverbs chapter nine teaches is this, all of life is learning how to ask for help, not be self-sufficient, learning how to ask for wisdom. That's why it says, here's a second thing, Are you teachable? Number two, do you realize that you live in the Father's world? Look at verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. In other words, as John Stott says, I love this quote from Stott wisdom is the possession of the believer given by the Spirit that enables him to see history from a divine perspective. That's wisdom. That we realize that this world in which we live is not something that we make of it. It's something that's the Father's world that we live in, and he teaches us how to live in it, how to interact with each other, how to be good friends, how to rebuke somebody. He teaches all of that in the Proverbs, and it's beautiful. Now, the way of Lady Folly is different. Verse 13, she's loud. She's seductive. Interestingly, if you look at this text, here we see Lady Wisdom slaughtering the beasts getting the pillars ready setting the table what's lady folly done nothing she hasn't done any preparation at all she's going to steal the meal she's going to rob it from somebody else that's why it says in verse 17 stolen water is sweet all she's done out is she's gone out to the high places and she says come in too but she's done zero preparation to feed you she's just louder and she's just more seductive She actually has the same call, verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here, which is the exact same phrase as chapter, verse four. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. It's the same call, but with nothing to back it up. I know Hamilton's in town and I'm refraining, quoting Hamilton right now. But I have to quote Les Mis because when I read uh, Lady Folly, I just think of the master of the house. That's a little bit more what she's like. Uh, watering down the wine, holding down the scales, putting the finger on the scale so you don't get a fair price, and picking up their knickknacks when they don't see straight. She's an Instagram version of Wisdom, incredibly photoshopped, who doesn't look this way in real life. Loud, seductive, all of these things with the same call in verse 16. And then if you see what she sells... She sells stolen water, it's sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. That's the, that's the first sign of abuse, isn't it? Something happens and somebody says to somebody else, let's not tell anybody. Let's just keep this secret just between us. Let, let's just make this our little thing. <laughs> that's how it happens, right? And there is a thrill and doing something that you know you shouldn't do. That's why sin is so seductive. But the problem with sin is this. To keep getting the same benefit from it, you have to keep upping the dosage. And at some point, like chemo, you'll hit your lifetime supply, and there's nothing more that you can do to get that same thrill or that same rush. And so that's why she ends, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol, In the depths of hell, Ed Welch says it this way, Sin, by its very nature, is more often quiet and secretive than loud and public. For every over-episode of rage, there are dozens of jealousies, manipulations, white lies, and malicious thoughts, none of which immediately enter register on the conscience. Now, let me pause here, because you have to do the work. Right now, in your heart, what are the little secret sins that you're harboring? What's the little bit of bitterness that you try to keep secret? Where are the little things that you think, this isn't quite worth confessing yet? It's not big enough to confess, but I'm jealous of that person. I'm envious of that person. I'm, I'm bitter about this I saw that girl again today and I love to lust after her. I I want money more than I want anything. What are the little things that you're keeping secret in your heart of hearts because they will grow up and run out of your heart. As Dan Allender says, every addiction is an attempt to slay hope. And what the gospel wants to give us is hope. Now, uh, I told you uh, we would get right quick to these practical conclusions so three quick practical conclusions number one read Um, what i would recommend and i'm speaking now to 15 year old boys i don't know if there's any in this room or not but if you're a 15 year old boy the rest of you can listen in but if you're a 15 year old boy i would say this one thing if you don't do anything else read the proverbs every day There's 31 chapters. So whatever day it is, if it's day 10 of the month, just read chapter 10. If it's day 15, read chapter 15. Just If you don't do any other scripture reading, just start there and then add the gospel of John to it. But I would be really content if my son just read Proverbs every day and the Gospel of John every day. And just just for starters, start there. Let it get into your heart and into your mind because chapter 10 through 29, if you just take your Bible, and I'm just gonna flip through some of the verses that I've underlined over the year. Look at uh, chapter 12, verse one. Whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge. Okay, it's okay for me to get corrected on the football field during this drill. 15-year-old boy. Love discipline, love knowledge. Um, Look at verse 15 of chapter 12, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. You get that into your heart early, your life is gonna go so much better. Uh, Look at chapter 14, verse 12, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, its way is death. There's a way that people are always going to think that's the right way to go, but it leads actually to death. Uh, Chapter 14, verse 13, even in laughter, the heart may ache. Man, that one has helped me in pastoral counseling almost more than any other proverb. Because some people, they're not taking something seriously that they should be taking seriously. They're almost blowing it off. And what I think is, oh, there's a deeper ache in your heart that you're covering up with laughter and taking things loosely Verse 23 of chapter 14, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Fifteen-year-old, you got to eventually get up and do it. You can't just talk about getting a job. You eventually have to apply. You have, have to kind of do it. Uh, there's so much. Uh, chapter 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Fifty-five-year-olds. 65-year-olds, maybe we should leave the realm of the 15-year-old boys so you know you're not off the hook. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened calf with hatred. Without Verse 22, without counsel, plans fall, but with many advisors, they succeed. I mean, that's, I'm only through chapter 14. It's just beautiful. Get this in your mind. So that's the first thing. Practical conclusions, number one, read. Here's the second one. Practical conclusions, repent. And I'm going to give you four things that you can repent of. Number one, we're filling our heads and our minds with all the wrong information. You might be reading through the Bible this year, which is great. What is that, eight minutes a day? You come to worship, what is that, an hour, maybe Sunday school, two hours? Maybe you go to youth group, maybe you go to journey group. The rest of your time is filling your mind and your heart with all kinds of information which may or may not be biblical or faithful. E.O. Wilson says it this way. He says, We are drowning in information while starving for wisdom. The world henceforth will be run by synthesizers, people able to put together the right information at the right time to think critically about it and to make important choices wisely. And as we read all of the word, as we read from Genesis to Revelation, we're able now to synthesize all of this information that we live in the Father's world and this is actually how we're to live. The problem is we have way too much information. We can't possibly synthesize it all. And Howard Thurman I just read a brilliant book by Howard Thurman written in 1977, post-segregation. It's called Jesus and the Disherited. And he talks about hatred and how hatred develops, like what the process is for you to hate somebody. And you know what the first step of hatred developing is? When you have contact with somebody before you have fellowship with them. That's all of social media, right? That like summarizes all of the vitriol, on social media that we see, where it just escalates so quickly because you have contact and you share opinions, but you've never broken bread with them. And now it's just information, 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 when a soft word turns away wrath. Problem number two that we can repent of. Many of us have lived with our own earthly wisdom more than God's wisdom. See, most of us, most Christians live this way. God, I need you to forgive my sins. I need that transaction to happen. But now that that's sealed by the blood of Christ, now I'll go live my own way. And and, and I'll ask for your help every now and then when I really, really get stuck. But I think I can do the majority of this on my own. But look at what this says in James 3. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. That's a beautiful phrase. Meditate on that this afternoon. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealous and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice, but the wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, if you need to repent this afternoon, and you do, and I do, just go back through that list again. Would people say that I'm gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, and sincere, and that I sow peace, that everywhere I go, I I have a harvest of peace, a legacy of peace behind me. That's the kingdom. That's how we live. That's how we share the good news in this world. Now, problem number three uh, that we can repent of. We haven't used the Proverbs appropriately Uh, I like what Tim Mackey says in the Bible Project where he says the Proverbs are probabilities, not promises. And sometimes we think that if we just find the right formula, then our life will be easy. That's not how we're supposed to use the Proverbs. And problems number four, we want want to look wise instead of looking needy. 1 Corinthians 1. Where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made him foolish in the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. Now stop there. Jews demand signs, Greeks seeks wisdom. What do Americans want? Money. Somebody said it back here. Political power. Comfort. What what is it that we seek? Well, here's what we really need the next verse. But the wisdom, I'm sorry. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, as Christians, we're to identify as weak, as needy. Well, We say there's a God who hung on the cross who saves us, and we will follow him the rest of our lives. And we're not to be bashful about it. We're to be foolish about it in the biblical sense of the word. Will you look foolish to the outside world? Sure. Does it matter? No. I bought Elizabeth a jewelry box years ago. I'm not buying another one. She only gets one because uh, we only need two jewelry boxes. We only need enough jewelry box for one jewelry box and I, I had it engraved, Proverbs 31.3. Uh, I went to the lady and I said, I'd like this engraved on it, Proverbs 31.30. And she, she said, what does that say? And you don't know this about me because I've improved a lot, um, but I have a speech impediment. Matter of fact, I have two of them. I had to go to a, a speech therapist all through like uh, elementary school. And so sometimes every now and then I can stutter. And she said, what does Proverbs 31 say? And I said, it says, uh, charm, uh, uh, ch- ch- charm is deceptive, and um, I just couldn't get it out. Be- beauty, beauty is fleeting, uh, and I got nervous. I could heal, feel my heart, and I said, a- and a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I barely got it out. And you know what she said, the lady that's doing the engraving? She said, blah, 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 Bible stuff. And I thought, her heart aches somewhere down in that person there's a deep deep wound and totally made fun of me for not being able to get the words out but there in that store I thought man we're going to be made fun of sometimes we're going to be fools sometimes and that's okay we repent and then lastly we rejoice Uh, so we read we repent And we rejoice. Colossians 2, "...their hearts might be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." In Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are there. Now, if you're not a believer, this last point is going to be hard for you because I want you just to rejoice in who God is because in Christ, you find all the treasure, all the wisdom, all the knowledge you'll ever need to make life decisions. See, we think sometimes that Christianity is like going to a timeshare sale. Have you ever been to one of those? We made that mistake once. You go to Myrtle Beach and they offer you a free weekend and you sit through that presentation, which is going to be for two hours and it turns into six hours. And you just, you've told them no ten times already. And at the end, you're willing to negotiate down your free weekend for a meal at Olive Garden. Like, you know, you're like, just get me out of here. And we think that's how Christianity works. You know, we kind of come in, we do the sale. We're like, I just want the free weekend in heaven. That's all I'm looking for here. What Christianity is more like is an all-inclusive resort where you and Jesus get to live with all the treasures of heaven fully and finally paid for by him, testing and trying every meal that you've ever wanted. Because the kingdom of God, as it says in Matthew thirty-three thirteen, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who finding that pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now imagine him at the lawyer's office closing the deal are you sure you wanna sell that property? Do you know who just bought the property beside you who's going to develop it? Your property is gonna be worth a fortune, you're a fool. But he knows, no, I found the treasure. I can let all the other stuff go. That's what Jim Elliott said in his journals when he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Uh, Not all of you know Jim Elliott. Some of these old stories that I cut my teeth on, the younger generations haven't heard. So although it's uh, old hat to me, I have to remind myself to tell everybody else about it. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and three other friends went to Ecuador to try to save a group of Indians. And uh, they were speared and thrown in the river. And he wrote that quote in his journal before he went, left his 10-month-old son behind. What you may or may not know is Nate Saint's son, Steve, went back to the village, and the villagers became believers, converted them all. And then went on a tour across America with the guy who ran a spear through his dad's heart to talk about forgiveness and love standing on stage beside the guy who killed his dad to say, not only do I forgive this guy, but I love him because we're brothers in the gospel of Christ. Elliot, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And friends, what you can't lose are all the treasures hidden in Christ. Last quote, and then we'll pray. I had to call a friend last week because I wasn't doing well. Uh, Elizabeth and my closer friends know uh, just shame and sin and guilt and anger and all kinds of things going on in my heart. So I called a friend and I said, Can you remind me that I'm a Christian? And he said, Gladly. And uh, he shared the gospel with me, reminded me that Christ has done it all. And then he quoted B.B. B. Warfield Nothing that we are, nothing that we can do enters. Into the slightest measure in the ground of our acceptance with God, Jesus did it all. All the treasures, everything you need for life and godliness, all the gems, all the joys, they're all found in Christ and in His wisdom. So, friends, let's seek Him, let's enjoy Him, let's repent, and let's rejoice. Father, we pray now. You are our firm foundation. So we pray as we sing this to you, if we need to repent of.